0: Hello, and welcome to another Stopping Socialism TV segment. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall, joined today by senior editor Chris Talgo. Chris, how are you doing today?
1: Doing good, Donnie. How are you?
0: Fantastic. So I'm having you on today to talk about a recent op-ed that you penned for the college fix. The headline is, The Miseducation Movement is Gaining Momentum. Can Parents Stop It? So the article starts off with a statement, uh, opinion. Over the past few years, far too many American students have been taught revisionist history. So let's start off by establishing your background a bit. So currently, you're a senior editor at the Heartland Institute and a contributor to the Stopping Socialism Project. But you weren't always. Uh, You
1: used to be a teacher, correct? Yep. So for five years, I taught uh, U.S. history, U.S. Constitution, uh, economics, and American government uh, for high school students in uh, Bluffton, South Carolina. Oh, very nice.
0: Uh, so you you said several years?
1: Five years, yep. Five years, all right. Five long years.
0: <laughs> yeah. Very long years. <laughs> I bet, I bet. I, uh, I have no desire to be a teacher. Uh, my wife teaches and, you know, more power to her. Uh, So, you know, this this topic that you talked about in this op-ed firsthand. So let's first establish the problem. Um, So during your time as a teacher, how would you describe the lesson plans uh, that you taught in regards to U.S. history?
1: All right, well, I'll start off with this. So uh, in the state of South Carolina, we have something uh, that are called like curriculum standards and uh what they do is they they guide uh the teacher as to the content that must be covered Hmm. and really this applies to the uh state mandated uh u.s history test which all south carolina students uh, must pass in order to graduate high school and you know when i was there this was uh you know five years ago now i would say that the uh state curriculum standards were uh were pretty fair. I would say they might have leaned a little bit liberal, but I would say overall they were fairly, you know, uh, down the middle. However, what I noticed uh, was that most of the teachers uh, did not um, abide by those Mm. uh, standards. And a lot of, I would say the vast majority of them uh, took their, their personal um, opinions into the classroom. So it wasn't necessarily the uh, teaching standards that were the problem in my opinion, it's uh, these teachers who gloss over the teaching standards and then come in with their own rhetoric and propaganda.
0: Right. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, we talk about all the time, just, you know, either here on Stopping Socialism TV or just like generally speaking in the kind of the conservative, uh, you know, news realm about like institutions being taken over by, you know, liberals and cultural Marxists and all of that. So you are saying that you kind of saw that firsthand.
1: Oh, I saw that firsthand. Guaranteed. Uh, I can give so many examples, you know, for for economics. Uh, teaching economics, we were supposed to focus exclusively on uh, macroeconomics and microeconomics. And I witnessed, you know, so many times where teachers would come in and they'd show, you know, uh, anti-free uh, market documentary about Walmart, for example, or, you know, whatever. And that had n- absolutely nothing to do with, what was supposed to be taught to those kids based on the state standards. And that was not just in economics. That was in American history. That was in philosophy. That was in almost every subject uh, across the spectrum in social studies department where you or I worked.
0: Wow. And you being more conservative libertarian, it's not like you only gave the rosy picture of the united states and in your history
1: lessons not at all and and first of all when i was a teacher you know my my beliefs were off the table because i was there to teach the kids you know the basics of history and how to think how to write how to communicate ideas so what i thought in terms of like my perspective i never brought that into the classroom i was strictly focused on making sure that they had you know the the factual background because Mm. You know, as I've seen a lot of young adults and a lot of students, they have very little just, you know, like a simple understanding of American history. So my my foremost goal was to just make sure that they knew what they had to know. Mm. And I think a lot of teachers are not nearly as concerned with that as they are concerned with indoctrinating or brainwashing or just trying to, uh, you know, change the uh, uh, political uh, minds of these, you know, very young children.
0: Hmm. So you say that like a lot of the slant was coming specifically from the teachers, not necessarily the curriculum. However, in the article, you cite uh, a shift in the curriculum towards the end of your teaching career towards a, quote, revisionist history, which portrayed America as a wicked country. Correct. How so?
1: So uh towards the very tail end of my teaching career, you know that was uh, right around the time when uh, this you know revisionist history really started to take hold. And what they did was they focused I would say uh, disproportionately on the chapters of American history in which mistakes were made and they they hyper focused, on some of our darker chapters, but they were unwilling to explain the progress that we've made. So, you know, for example, you know, civil rights movement, you know, they would spend very little time talking about the the strides that were made and almost, you know, trying to portray it as well, you know, o- only a couple things happened, but we still got so much like room to go. I mean, that's just one example. Um, uh, I just I, I had the the experience that many of the teachers come in with a somewhat anti-American bias, and that is perpetuated. You know, when they teach anything from the Great Depression to you know the Reagan era, from the Civil War, you know, to the American Founding, they mm-hmm. they go out of their way to overemphasize some of the things that weren't great while dismissing the fact that, you know, for the American founding, I mean, that was a seminal moment in world history in which, you know, the, the, the landscape of the world changed. Yeah. Right. Obviously it wasn't perfect, but it was by and large, uh, a great thing that should be celebrated, not denigrated.
0: (laughs) Right. A huge step in just like the evolution of, humans
1: right correct and and just you know one of the quick things so you know I also spent some time doing uh world history and modern world history and when uh when the time came to talk about the Russian Revolution it was so different it was oh. it was it was great but it just wasn't done properly oh yeah and it, sure you know,
0: that was a case of cracking a few eggs when you're making an omelette type of a thing
1: right <laughs> right, right so so they you know, they went out of their way to excuse, you know, the the terrible uh, sides of, you know, uh, the, you know, the Marxist, uh, you know, uh, revolutions. Mm. But when we talk about the American Revolution, in particular, it was done in a very different uh, tone.
0: Wow. Yeah, you shift, you um, attribute uh, a lot of this shift in this article to Howard Zinn's a people's history of the United States. Uh, I think that a lot of people that are listening to this video that are watching this video probably know about this book. But for those who aren't, can you briefly describe the the point of this book?
1: So the, the point of the book is to uh, give a alternative uh, history of the United States seen through the eyes of the oppressors. So for example, uh, you know, how did Native, Native Americans uh, see the events when, you know, the settlers came and, uh, and obviously, you know, when I, when I taught, you know, that era, you know, we, we talked about how, how terrible it was, you know, for the, uh, you know, the Americans to, uh, take, you know, some of the Native Americans lands. However, I think we also need to make sure that we understand that, history needs to be taught in context. That was a completely different period. Mm -hmm. That was a time in which like, you know, land was up for grabs and, uh, Native Americans were also, you know, uh, warring with each other. So that's just one, one very small example. But what, uh, the, the book tries to do is it, it tries to bring a, uh, Marxist mentality to American history. And it, it's gained, you know, wide acclaim and it's, um, it's, it's a, uh, central in, uh, U S history teaching. It's a, it's a required book for AP. And, um, what I noticed is that a lot of the teachers used the book and used, uh, many of the lessons plans, which I cited just a couple as, as their lesson plan. Right.
0: Yeah, you know, it's crazy because, you know, I've been in this field long enough to see uh, this book specifically be debunked, uh, discredited, rebuked uh, numerous times by a whole host of critics. Yet the book still has a lasting impact on U.S. history education today. Right.
1: I would say it's it's actually getting more impactful. It's it's it's, uh, becoming more central to a lot of the, uh, the social, uh, social studies teachers, uh, approach to the classroom and they, yeah. they, they embrace it full stop.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, in this article you have, uh, according to the website, quote, the Zen education project promotes and supports the teaching of people's history in classrooms across the country. For more than 10 years, the Zen Education Project has introduced students to a more accurate, complex, and engaging understanding of history than is found in traditional textbooks and curricula. Uh, With more than 130,000 people registered and growing by more than 10,000 new registrants every year, the Zen Education Project has become a leading resource for teachers and teacher educators. So uh in the article, you list off a number of examples of the lessons offered by the zen Education Project. So maybe we should just take a look at some of these. So you you picked out three of these. Um look, I'm just gonna read off some of what you wrote here. So, or no, actually, this is just copy and paste from their straight website. Straight from the website. Straight from the website. So students design a reparations bill in this activity students take on the role of activist experts to improve upon a congressional bill for reparations for black people. They talk talk back to Congress's flimsy legislation to design a more robust alternative. That sounds like a very non-slanted lesson plan at all. Uh, The red dot of environmental racism. A teacher looks back on her childhood to discover the meaning of environmental racism linda Christensen offers ways to teach about the students uh about the story with students well wow, that that sounds fun and and you were saying right before we hit record on here that there's actually a website that's just dedicated to all this probably where you copy and pasted it from um that has a a ton 100? an absolute ton of these lessons plans so let me let me find this right here i've got it open right here so if you're watching this video you can see that uh here we go <laughs> that it's not limited to just environmental racism or you know reparations or anything like that it looks like we've got a whole host of different topics that you can find lessons plans for us from african-american art and music asian-american Civil rights movement, climate justice, criminal justice, incarceration, democracy and citizenship, disability, economics, education, environment, food, housing, immigration, so on and so forth. goes everywhere. So I'm just going to click on something random here. Let's do math. So let's see what lesson plans that they have for math here. Oh, oh. Maybe the website's overloaded with uh, <laughs> teachers trying to find their lesson plans for this upcoming semester. All right, well, I don't know. While that, while that loads, <laughs> we could just probably talk a little bit more about... Oh, wait, here it is. Okay. Plotting inequities or inequalities, building resistance. High school students use math to reflect on social inequality. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> that, that's literally the first one that popped up. Right. There's nothing hidden in my sleeves. This was literally what first popped up. Uh, solar power comes to math class. Like, again, we're not learning two plus two equals four here. All of this has a, you know, social justice warrior agenda attached to it. It's exactly. pretty astonishing.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I don't I don't completely disagree with the fact that these topics should be brought into the classroom. However, I think they should be done in a neutral fashion. So instead of saying, design a bill for reparations. How about saying, hey, sh- hey should we have reparations? Right. And then and then have the, the, the students make up their minds. But what they're doing is they're planting the seed that we should have reparations. And they're not even addressing whether or not reparations are discriminatory or unnecessary, or whether the students agree with them in the first place.
0: Yeah, no, it's just a given. It's just an absolute right. given. Right. Uh, how dare you suggest otherwise? So now, this is all just the beginning. You say that the Zen education project is relatively tame compared to the work of the 1619 project and critical race theory, which is kind of, uh, you know, the buzz of the town when, when you look into these topics as of late. Um, so describe what you're seeing in our education system from your vantage point.
1: So, sixteen nineteen projects is predicated on the fact that the United States was not founded in seventeen seventy six. It was founded in sixteen nineteen when the first African slave ship arrived to Jamestown, carrying uh, what became uh, African slaves. I think they were indentured servants actually at the time. Um, so, it you know the sixteen nineteen project tries to say that America was not founded upon personal freedom and liberty it was founded upon slavery. And that is not true. The, the founding fathers believed that slavery would actually die out after like their generation. They put a stop to the slave trade. I mean, they, they, they were under the impression that eventually slavery would wither away and die mm-hmm. on its own. Uh, so the, this, this, you know, this, idea that the united states was founded to uh, like strictly to perpetuate and protect slavery is just completely fact like factually false and then uh, we've seen uh critical race theory become the you know uh the 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 latest and greatest uh thing in in classrooms across america and that that to me is even worse because it teaches kids that aside from nothing but the color of their skin, That that is the defining quality. And if you're born a white person, you are born an oppressor. And if you're born a non-white person, you are born an oppressee. Right. And we should not be teaching our kids that we should be teaching our kids what Martin Luther King wanted, you know, future generations to understand you judge people by the content of their character. The color yeah, of their know, skin is nothing to do with anything.
0: It's really like interesting. And I feel like this isn't even just limited to our education, uh, you know, uh, whatever system. It's like w- when we talk about the news, like the media or something, CNN, like whatever happened to just like reporting facts, like not reporting opinion disguised as facts. And I feel like that's what we're seeing with all of these cases, whether it's the, the, the Howard Zinn stuff, or the, uh, you know, uh, 1619 project or critical race theory. It's all of the, it's not about presenting facts, right? It's like, you know, when you add two plus two together, uh, it equals four. It's like why two plus two equaling four is white supremacy. Like that's, that's the type of system that we're in now. What, what is, why? Like what is happening? I just don't
1: get it. I I think this is, this has been happening for for decades, you know, it started in uh, higher learning institutions, and I think it's it's slowly filtered into high schools, and now I think it's even filtering down into like grade schools, kindergarten. You you you, I, I see examples all the time of kids in first, second, third grade, and they're being told to read a book about why uh, white kids are are fundamentally bad, and and we should not be doing this. I...
0: Right, it's like we've we've gone from teaching kids how to learn and instead of like and and into a system where it's like what they're learning, right? Right. Yeah, it seems like, you know, everything is kind of degenerating at an increasingly rapid pace. Um, it seems like we're getting to a point where like teaching students is less and less of a priority in schools across the country. In the article you say in July, for example, Oregon's governor signed a bill that suspends proficiency requirements in reading, writing, and math for high school graduates. Unfortunately, this is occurring in states and school districts throughout the nation. And this is anecdotal on my part, but I have heard recently uh, from a school teacher in a district here in the northern part of Illinois that they uh, they're not even like able to make kids uh, do homework anymore. <laughs> like like it's just it's just It's not uh, what are they even learning at this point? You know, it's just getting crazier and crazier by the day.
1: I I very much agree with that. I feel that the curriculum has also been dumbed down substantially, even from when I was in uh, high school. I think a lot of that also has to do with, you know, this, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody's a winner. You know, we, we, we can't fail kids because if they fail kids, they'll make them feel bad. Mm -hmm. And I I ran into that, uh, throughout my time in uh, South Carolina because public school system doesn't want you to fail kids either, because then, you know, that looks uh, badly upon them and it, 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 uh, limits them like money. So, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on here, but I think if you just distill it down to its most simple, uh, iteration, like you said, we're not teaching kids how to think. We're not teaching them, uh, h- how to, uh, communicate, how to, how to, uh, cr- you know, critically think and analyze, right. Right. you know, we, we started spoon feeding them, spoon feeding them answers when I was like in school. And now we just like even abandoned that. And it's just, <laughs> it it's just that there is almost no, uh, no, uh, accountability.
0: Yeah, well, maybe this is like a self cannibalizing thing. And it's like, uh, you know, they're the lesson plans are terrible, but they're not forced to learn it, really. So maybe they won't even stick. <laughs> maybe it won't it's even true. Stick. Uh true. so let's let's get into the second part of the headline. Uh, second part of your uh, op ed's headline, which is can parents stop it? So, I mean, it seems like there's a pretty big problem here. Uh, it seems like this is decades, if not longer old in our in our education system. So I don't know. What do you think? Can parents stop this?
1: Of course. And I think we're, we're seeing two ways that parents are stopping it literally as we speak. Mm. Uh, one is they are going to these school board meetings and they are finally making their voices heard. And a lot of them are uh, going to be running for these school board positions. Mm. So that that's one. And then the other one is homeschooling. we're seeing a lot of uh, homeschooling and we're seeing a lot of school choice. We're seeing, you know, a lot of states finally embracing that. And, uh, you know, especially with the pandemic and everything that the parents saw actually going on in the classroom because it was happening in their living rooms. I think we might be at, you know, a, a pivot point here. And, you know, parents, of course, they can stop it if these are their children. They just need to take, you know, the initiative and just say, we're sick and tired of this. We're not going to let these, you know, bureaucrats and unions, you know, teach our students this garbage.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, a former colleague of ours would always say that he thinks that education is the most important the most important topic that we cover at the the heartland institute and at first i kind of dismissed it because he was an education guy but after a while i was like yeah you know i think he's right because it really is the foundation of all of this you know what our kids learn today is what they put into uh the world later when they're adults right so uh totally. education choice thing you mentioned i mean that if you that To me, seems like the solution uh, just on a systemic level. I mean, an individual level, like you said, you know, putting your kids in private school or just homeschooling or getting involved in the, you know, uh, uh, you know, stuff like that. Like that's obviously very important on a systemic level. uh, Education choice, I think, is the way to go. And. If you look at it, the amount of education choice stuff, whether it's school vouchers or education savings accounts or, you know, uh, uh, charter schools and all of that, if you look at like a chart of those programs being implemented in states across time, it's like going parabolic. Right. Now, I don't know what happened during the COVID years, but it's, it's a movement and it's a movement that is gaining momentum. So hopefully that becomes a force that kind of pushes back against some of the mis- it's education movement that you're talking about in this op-ed, um, but it just depends on how much people that are listening to videos like this want to get involved. So, uh, Chris, we're running short of time, but is there any other kind of last bits of info or any any other things that you want to put out there before we kind of sign off for this segment?
1: No, I think you 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 really made a great point uh, where you said that today's leaders are are coming from these institutions. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, human resources departments and, and other institutions going full bore on this, you know, pretty crazy stuff. And I think that's because that's, that's, you know, what's been happening in college campuses for the past decade or so. And it's actually starting to bear fruit in the real world. And we need to make sure that we are not letting that Uh, you know, take over not only like our, you know, human resources departments, but especially our education.
0: Right. Absolutely. All right. I think that's going to do it for this segment of Stopping Socialism TV. Um, If you want to read this op ed in full, you can go and check out the link in the show notes. We'll uh, put it right underneath this video. You could also find much more of Chris Talgo's work if you go to different websites across the Internet, whether it's Town Hall or The Hill or I don't know where are other places that you're published routinely.
1: I just want all of our users to go to heartland.org and StoppingSocialism.Com.
0: Yeah. Those are probably the easier places to go. Yes. <laughs> so yes. StoppingSocialism.Com. We also have a, you know, if you want to see more videos like this, you can subscribe to our channel on YouTube, stopping socialism TV. You can also find most of our content shared across social media, Facebook, stopping socials. We have an Instagram account. We have a Twitter account. We have a parlor account. So, uh, yeah, thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Stopping Socialism TV, and we will talk to you next time.